Uh, good afternoon, everyone. And uh, here we have our fourth and uh, final part of the local election podcast. So uh, we've looked at uh, the Northern Irish Assembly elections, the Welsh local elections, the Scottish local elections, and uh, finally we turn our attention to the English local election. And uh, with us today on the show, a prominent figure of Bornbrook magazine and who's been on the show uh, a couple of times before. Uh, good afternoon, uh, Pete uh, Tutikin. Oh yeah, I think it's uh, been a while, but uh, yeah, good to be back. Yeah, good to, good to have you back. So just to let the viewers know, so um, this, this Thursday, the, the English, uh, well, a lot of England will be going out to vote. It's uh, mostly London dominated election this year. I believe 40% of the seats up for grabs are in uh, London. Um, a lot of people are predicting uh, a conservative wipeout these elections. Uh, but one thing that we should bear in mind is that these are the 2018, these seats were last contested in 2018 when Labour and the Lib Dems made considerable gains. It was the time when Theresa May was the Prime Minister and her Brexit deal was causing all sorts of trouble. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say be cautious about predicting a, a Tory wipeout. Um, in total, Labour are defending the most councils, 62, compared to the Tories, 46, the Lib Dems, 12, and uh, 26, no overall control. Um, so, Pete, in your opinion, what will be some of the key councils and battlegrounds to, to look at in this election? Sure. So, um, I mean, I guess if we if we just uh, kind of set the set the scene here for for, uh, for what we're looking at, as, as you mentioned, the, these boundaries, well, open boundaries, these uh, these these councils were last contested in 2018. I mean, there, there is some kind of weirdness because, you know, there's been like local like by-elections and, uh, you know, um, boundary changes and so on. But by and large, these kind of set of seats were last contested in, tw in, in 2018. I mean, the other difference is there's also elections going on in Scotland and Northern Ireland, which wasn't the case last time. But I mean, if we're looking specifically at England, I mean, that is that that is by and large kind of the, the benchmark. Um, if you will. I mean, what happened in 2018 was kind of curious because this was Labour uh, under Corbyn essentially trying to build up on the glorious defeat of 2017 <laughs> um, by um, essentially doing two things, right? Um, on the one hand, they wanted to make very significant gains in kind of the leafy, suburban, Romani, affluent, young liberal areas um, where the kind of new Brexit era Conservative Party was 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 set to do set to do poorly in the future and was indeed doing uh doing quite poorly coming up coming off to 2017 and so on um and um on the on the other hand they had to essentially like hold the line in kind of the brexity parts of labor labor voting mm -hmm. england um that, that that was kind of that was kind of the scene for 2018 um in the end they kind of didn't do enough of either so they did make gains in um in uh, in remaining parts of the country particularly in london which uh was kind of the 
the dominant single set of elections in 2018, and as you mentioned, is now. Um, they made some gains, uh, some gains, but not kind of enough as some were expecting and as Labour was predicting. I mean, it was essentially, in, in, in a way, it was a kind of a giant failure of expectation management, partly because most of the seats, you know, back then and, and now in these sets of elections were already held by the Labour Party, there wasn't as much room for gains. Um, but even even so, they uh, in 2018, they failed to make kind of decisive breakthroughs in parts of London, particularly in Wandsworth. Um, kind of this is, uh, you know, for those unfamiliar, this uh, major major like uh, council uh, in, here in South London, uh, which has been essentially like, uh, uh, which has been held by the Conservatives uh, for very long time has been um, at the forefront of a lot of kind of radical Thatcherite era uh, local mm -hmm. government uh, initiatives. And I, um, um, I believe it has one of the lowest uh, council tax rates in the country. It, 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 the, the lowest, the lowest actually, as, uh, far, as, far as, as far as I'm aware, yeah. Um, yeah, so they, they, they failed to make a breakthrough there. They failed, uh, they failed to break through uh, in Barnet, which again was a, a major council target. Uh, their Labour's defeat was particularly noteworthy because that's the part of London which has a uh, very significant Jewish population and obviously during the Corbyn era, mm. anti-Semitism scandal that, you know, showed uh, kind of Labour's failings of, with the Jewish community, certainly. And, and that is will be a very particular litmus test for Keir Starmer this time around. If Labour could take Barnet, they can maybe, you know, say that they're starting to draw a line kind of on, under that whole, under that whole mm. era, right? Um, so kind of to, to rewind. So they, they, they did make some gains in 2018. I think overall, overall, uh, overall, they, I think, well, on, on, in terms of like councillors, I think they made like, it was under a hundred, but like 70, 80 gains in, in, in councillors overall in the entire country in 2018. Um, they, in, in terms of actual councils held, it was, they basically broke even. Um, so it's very, it's very, and, um, and that was, by and large, because in their in their second kind of job, which was to hold the line in Brexit England, um, they didn't do too well. Um, they uh, lost Nuneaton uh, to no overall control. They lost Dudley to the Conservatives. And so it, in 2018, you kind of saw that even as, you know, Theresa May's Brexit deal was unraveling and there was all this kind of uh, disquiet in the Conservative Party, you still saw kind of the, you know, the red wall kind of already starting to fall apart as it would then mm. do in 2019, right? Um, so despite the fact that 2018 was, you know, just numerically, objectively speaking, the best local election, the best set of local elections that Labour had under Jeremy Corbyn, um, it still kind of, it still did not kind of meet expectations, really. Mm. So that, that, that's kind of the historical background uh, here. Um, so for Keir, well, I mean, what, what does Keir Starmer have to do then? Um, well, Keir Starmer essentially has to like do both of the, like kind of do more of that. He has to demonstrate that Labour can still, you know, keep making gains in, uh, in more socially liberal, formerly conservative parts of England and, and particularly in London. Again, we're, you know, looking at, you know, Wandsworth, we're looking at, uh, we're looking at, you know, we're looking at Barnet and so on. And, um, but, however, now that, you know, like 2018, you know, that was before the Red Wall fell apart, then, you know, now this is after the full, after the collapse of, of the Red Wall. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if we've retired. The rebuilding. Right yeah, right. So, so now, so now they have to like actually rebuild. So now we're going to be looking at the key litmus test, you know, for Keir Starmer. This, and this is kind of, again, like the, the key, I think, thing to look at is not whether Labour can make, 
you know, can wipe out the Tories of London. Because I mean, if, if you look at the, like the electoral kind of landscape, like the, on the local level in London, I mean, there's not that much more Tory kind of vote you can squeeze. I mean, like, obviously there's always going to be a floor, right? Uh, there's always going to be people who vote Tory no matter what, you know, mm. and so on. Uh, you know, the only, the only way you'll stop them voting Tory there is either if they move or they die, uh, you know, which can happen and does happen. But, um, um, but is there, you know, in, in London, there's not that much more Tory vote to, to, to squeeze, really. I mean, yeah, they can take Wandsworth, yeah, they can take Barnett, you know, in, in a fantastical scenario, maybe they could even, you know, take Westminster Council. But, but I mean, that, that would be, I would certainly wouldn't bet on that happening. Um, but the, like, the, the key issue to watch in terms of you know, is Labour recovering from 2019? You know, how are we looking, you know, in terms of future general election prospects, if you will, is to see like how much can Keir Starmer start to reverse the, um, the you know, the losses in the Midlands and the North of England yeah. um, on, the, on the local level that have also been, you know, replicated, as we all know, on the, on, the, on the parliamentary level, because this is exactly what he failed to do last year. I mean, like last year's local elections, and like this is kind of the tragedy for Labour, is that they would much rather be fighting last year's local elections now, because last year there was indeed uh, a lot more opportunity for Labour gains. Mo the, the vast majority of the seats last year were Tory held. Um, so there was, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of room. Um, there was a lot of room for, for Labour gains last year, but for a wide array of factors, partly because of Labour's ineptitude, partly because of, you can argue, like vaccine kind of uh, bounce, whatever. Mm. Um, they, 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 failed to, they failed to make any gains, you know, whatsoever. In fact, last year, Labour had a completely disastrous set of local elections. They lost hundreds of seats. I mean, it was the worst performance for an opposition in like decades of, you know, total disaster. Um, so it's, it's kind of unfortunate that like, for, you know, Keir Starmer now has to start demonstrating that Labour is making a comeback now that they're, you know, five, six points up ahead and, you know, voting intention. Um, but, you know, to, but he must do so in, in a set of local elections where there's not like that much room really to do, do that much. But again, if, if we are looking at particular councils, particular battlegrounds, they have to start like reversing, you know, Tory gains in the past few years, particularly in places like Dudley, like Walsall, like Wolverhampton, um, Nuneaton, you know, which also is kind of an eternal uh, bellwether. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in the in the Midlands, I think there's also uh, Peterborough, Rossendale, Bolton, Kirklees, Newcastle. Just some of the some of that I've noted down anyway, which yep. were which used to be considered uh, red wall seats. Uh, anyway, uh, something I mean, interesting. Amber Valley, I think, is another one. But I mean, mm. yeah, you could pick, pick any five of those, and I mean, I think you have a pretty good kind of benchmark for the kind of place where labor like should be demonstrating you know that they're winning again mm -hmm. something which somebody pointed out as well is that uh, so the polls the national polls have had labor in the lead for quite a bit now on average it's between six and eight points uh, around that but people are also pointing out that labor is dominating and very highly populated uh, big urban cities, uh, whereas the, the Tories continue to, to make gains in, in smaller towns. Now, in a PR system, Labour might be looking quite positive, but in first past the post, even this sort of lead for Labour, it, it probably wouldn't lead to a majority, would it? Um, I mean, it depends. I mean, look, I mean, we don't, 
I mean, I guess if the elections were held tomorrow, um, and you know, we we never truly know, right? Like how exactly the demographic how exactly concentrated, you know, different demographics in different parts of, you know, certain parties' votes are. Um, we well, we never know that until after the election, really. But I, I mean, what I'd say is, okay, our, our, the, 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 the best, as far as anyone can really tell, if the election was held tomorrow, um, Labour would be probably comfortably ahead uh, in a hung parliament. Which you know would would still end up with Keir Starmer as prime minister, and you know I'm like I think that you know they'll probably take that right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, if if Labour were to start taking places like uh, Barnet, uh, Wandsworth, you said these typically uh, ardent Thatcherite uh, council seats, possibly in the general election, would that be a sign of a general? the continuation of this realignment in British politics or do you think it would just be down to the current uh, Johnson administration we'll say incompetent and those seats would be likely to to become Tory again or do you think they would be there to to stay Labour for for quite some time? Well, I, I think I think it's yes and no, right? I, I, I think on, on the one hand, yes, there's something unique about, you know, the Johnson brand of the Conservative Party that has made itself particularly toxic uh, to, uh, you know, more socially liberal, more kind of globally outward looking uh, conservative voters and, you know, in places like London and, and also, you know, in kind of leafy suburbia um, in, in a way that, you know, uh, previous iterations of the Tory party, you know, under Cameron, and, and even May, um, you know, it wasn't quite, you know, they weren't quite put off by, by that. Um, I think, so I think there's, sure, there is something unique, you know, in the, in the Johnson, in the Johnson leadership with that. But of course, there is also an element, but there is an element of, you know, wider realignment, um, you know, at play here. I mean, is this the same for Labour, right? If you look at the Hartlepool by-election, last year right you could point at a lot of kind of realignment factors you know about how these places are getting older how they're increasingly being you know like young people are leaving and they're increasingly being uh, occupied by um you know the kind of the you know like older uh socially conservative homeowners you know there's an element yeah, of demographic yeah. shift in there um and and so, so yeah, there is kind of an area, there is, there is definitely like a realignment that is both in terms of, you know, partly in terms of parties, you know, shifting, you know, on like social issues and, um, you know, and in terms of, I guess, general ideology, but, but it's also a lot of it is just demographic shift of, you know, people moving from place to place and that impacting, you know, the electoral geography. So, so if you look at someone like Hartlepool, um, Yes, part of like the reason why Labour did so badly there uh, can be explained by the realignment, but even realignment considered, right, even realignment considered, that is a place that Labour should be winning if it hopes to, you know, to win a majority at the, at the next election, right? So I, I think, you know, obviously, like, it, it needs to be talked about, it needs to be considered as, you know, you know, if you're thinking about how these parties, you know, are going to, you know, plan, uh, you know, their, their messaging, how they plan on how uh, they plan on moving into the future, but at the same time, you can't obsess too much over it, right? Because if, if you're the Labour Party, like, yeah, it's kind of, you know, th these things like the like the realignment 
to the extent that it exists should definitely worry you. Um, but it's not going away and you have to make it work and you're going to have to make it work, you know, to, uh, uh, to win an election because look, I mean, right now on the, on the current seats, if you're the Labour Party, um, if you win every single, every single seat in London, Birmingham and Manchester, you're like the Tories are still going to be in power. But that's still that's still not going to be enough for that's certainly not going to be enough for for a majority. So if if Labour actually wants to have like a a functional like to form a functional government, certainly, um, they they are going to have to be winning. You know, like places like Hartlepool and and mm. large chunks of the Red Wall. And and on the current on the current polling and on the current uh, and also like local polling that we've seen from some of these places. Um, it looks like they are doing that at the moment. I mean, at the I don't I don't know what the current situation is like right now, but at the height of Partygate, at the height of Partygate, um, Boris Johnson was less popular in the Red Wall than in the country as a whole. Wow. So, quite so a there is yeah. So there there is you know there is definitely like while while you know the realignment is a thing and it is real and you know, these demographic shifts and these ideological shifts and so on, you know, they are having a long-term effect uh, on, uh, on, you know, the way politics and elections work in Britain. Um, you know, in the short to medium term, you know, election to election to election, you know, like a lot of it is still decided by, by you know, by like these basic kind of, um, by these like short, short-term shifts by, you know, someone like just becoming really unpopular and like, mm, or running yeah. the country to the ground, you know, like these, like the, the realignment, you know, is not like, it's not like a, this fatalistic thing that will, you know, determine politics. It just means it's like changes the landscape to which parties like must fight in, but, but, but that landscape itself is, you know, is not fixed. It's, it's still quite volatile. Yeah. And you speak of having to change the messaging and trying to, to adapt this realignment in order to get back into power. What, what are the, the main issues which are going into this election? What are most parties campaigning upon and what are people most worried about? Sure. So, I, I mean, I, I think, well, okay, first of all, these are local elections. And mm -hmm. as is usually the case in local elections, a lot of like the issues that will actually decide how people vote are going to be pretty local. Um, this probably not it's probably not worth talking about them that much because you know they're we can't exactly you know <laughs> talk about uh, particular potholes in particular uh, midlands towns but um, um, but, uh, but but you know that, that that is that is worth mentioning and uh, and you and people you know vote differently often in local elections than they do in national elections you know they might want labor to run the NHS but they wouldn't trust them with the bin collection right I mean like people. <laughs> That's how it works sometimes. But I mean, that aside, right, if we're talking about more like national issues, kind of the national narratives that are being formed, I mean, I think obviously the main thing that Labour has been campaigning on and the thing that Conservatives probably don't want to talk about too much is, you know, the kind of the cost of living crisis, the fact that, you know, everyone's energy bills are going up, everyone's taxes are going up as well, or most people, a lot of people's taxes are going up. Um, and, um, you know, the, the general state of the economy being rather crap by just about every <laughs> metric imaginable. Um, so certainly Labour... Labour's been going hard on that. Um, it's certainly very welcome territory for Labour to finally be able to campaign on the economy. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, you know, in a, in a way where they can try to present themselves as like responsible stewards, and the Tories are running everything into the ground. And um, I, I don't know like how much of the actual like Labour 
policies are cutting through on the issue, right? Like, you know, with windfall tax on energy companies and so on. I don't, I don't know how, I don't know if a lot of voters were currently turning away from the conservatives because of like what's happening with the cost of living. I don't know if they're doing that because they're looking at labor and they're like, oh, wow, look at this amazing alternative that, you know, Keir Starmer's talking about on the radio or whatever. I, I think, I think by and large, it's like things are crap and it's the government's job <laughs> for things not to be crap. So like, it's basically like you're in charge, it's your fault, screw you, right? I think that it's mostly that. I mean, obviously, Labour has to like show that they're at least competent, right? <laughs> because eventually, people will start thinking about the alternative. I mean, the, like the danger for the Conservatives, right, is that for a while it's been like, well, if you don't think Labour would do any better, um, the danger for the Conservatives is that that will soon turn into, or already is turning into, well, Labour couldn't do any worse. Um, <laughs> so I, I think, yeah, I mean, the cost of living. You know, I, I think that probably, as far as national issues are, you know, are concerned, that that will kind of dominate um, dominate the current, you know, this election and you know, national politics uh, overall going forward, and you know, in the near future, certainly. What I found interesting as well is that uh, the local candidates for the Conservatives have actually tried to distance themselves uh, from the National Party, and uh, I believe in Wandsworth. Uh, they've actually called themselves the local conservatives um, and they, they're trying to put all focus on things like uh, council tax and local issues and they're just trying desperately to, to stay away from uh, national issues at the moment. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I mean that, that's not surprising at all. I mean, well, I mean, if you're certainly if you're a local Tory councillor's defending, uh, you know, marginal, marginal council seats, I mean, it makes complete sense for you to do that um you know just like just like if you know things uh, overall are very good then they'll do nothing but you know champion national issues like you know like they did last year with you know the vaccine rollout and so on i mean like it's certainly you know it's certainly good electoral strategy but it also you know obviously speaks a lot to the current struggles of the national conservative party and something else which has been making the headlines obviously uh, i think everybody in the country knows about it is uh, partygate uh, do you think that will be something that uh, will be on voters' minds as they go out to vote in these local elections? Um, yes, I, I, I mean, it, in a sense, right? So, I mean, should be mentioned, this is the first, like, actual set of elections <coughs> since the whole uh, Partygate scandal broke. Hmm. Um, well, unless you're, you know, counting the, the by-elections that happened. Hmm. Um, the, I think, you know, you can, I think that what, what's happened here is, so this is different to what would have happened like if, if the election, if these elections were held, you know, right, you know, at the, at the, at the, at the nucleus of, of this scandal where, you know, everyone was, you know, most certainly a lot of the, most of the countries, you know, kind of enraged about the whole, the whole, um, the whole shtick and, and it would have been kind of an issue that certainly like people, go, you know, they're okay, there's a difference between like if someone goes to the, the polling the polling booth and you know they're thinking about like that they're thinking you know you know you know these bastards they you know like they party while we suffered and you know we gotta mm. we gotta you know make them pay for that um and you know and you're accustoming your vote accordingly i think there's enough time has passed since then and enough other stuff has kind of dominated the news agenda you know not least of which you know a, a, a major armed conflict in europe um that um we moved on from that to like a slightly more kind of insidious general feeling where like, you know, pe like people aren't constantly thinking about Partygate, right? And no. they're not doing so when they're making 
their mind up how they're going to vote this Thursday, but it's still at the back of their mind, right? It's it's like you know a feeling of just uh, you know momentary rage has been replaced with just like a, a you know like a just a more of a long term kind of like thought that you know like that these people you know are untrustworthy and they've lied to us and they don't care about us and you know even you know and uh, and and that kind of and that kind of attitude will also seep into um, into how people think about other issues. I mean, certainly if they don't care about you know if they didn't care about us during the during the pandemic then they probably don't care about you know how 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 we're suffering through the cost of living crisis right um so i think i think for the i think for the for the conservatives you know the, the danger here and i think that's basically what has happened is that kind of the immediate anger has just replaced into a this kind of long-term kind of stain on the on the party right where mm. it's uh from, from which from which i don't think it can recover under Boris Johnson, uh, for sure. But uh, something I saw recently as well was, uh, I believe it was Lisa Nandy was uh, uh, pressing the, the the party leadership not to keep going on about Partygate and to focus more on things like the cost of living crisis. Do you think uh, people are getting a bit sick and tired of hearing about it constantly? I mean, I think she's right. For, like strategically speaking, I think she's totally right. But mm. that, that's that's because like Partygate broke through um, in such a massive wave of the public initially that like it doesn't really do Labour any favors to keep banging on about it. Like we all know it happened, and most of us weren't very happy about it. So I mean, usually when a like I don't think it like really works in Labour's favor that much to keep reinforcing that message. I mean, if anything, you know, there's a danger that they're just look, you know, opportunistic or whatever. And, you know, I, I think I think those people look, I mean, Labour's current lead in the opinion polls materialized by and large as a result of Partygate. I mean, certainly in its current, you know, it, it, incarnation of, you know, Labour being consistently over five points ahead of the government. Right. Um, you know, that lead didn't exist before Partygate. So, like, mm. we, we, we have a very clear effect of that, like people like did take all that on board and people did respond uh to, to the scandal and like the effects and, and they haven't like and they you know if you look at voting intention um you know that anger hasn't like really subsided again like labor still has like obviously like the, the lead might have gone down a bit or whatever but but still by and large the uh, the electoral kind of the um, the public opinion um consequences of, of the scandal like are still are still there um, it's not like it's not like Labour needs to re remind everyone of it. And something which uh, sort of bambo bamboozled me a little bit the other day was uh, Boris Johnson, uh, probably not the right timing, decided to announce that uh, he would be interested in reintroducing the right to buy scheme. Uh, who do you think he's trying to appeal to by making this sort of policy announcement well i mean generally it's just a, a sign of like great desperation really i mean it, it's i mean it, it, to be uh, by the way like the whole uh, the whole policy of you know right to buy from from housing associations i mean that that is what it is if i'm not mistaken um you know that, yeah. that's, that's been going around that's been going around like since thatcher stopped being prime minister i mean like you, you know this is this has been it has been in conservative manifestos ever since it's it's you know it's it's basically one like one of those issues that if times are like bad and the conservative party has no other ideas like they just kind of open this dusty old book 
like <laughs> it's this is like one of the policies that they just pluck out of and it's like okay like here is something that we can like that we can try to like fix up the airways with for a bit right it's 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 similar to like i think recently they're started going on about like building more grammar schools which again it's like i mean it feels it feels it feels it feels desperate it, it certainly feels like they have no other ideas because if, if um so i mean i mean who who are who are they trying to target with it well i guess like the same well you know like younger i guess younger younger uh, people currently living in uh in, in rented accommodation and for whom you know like for whom the housing crisis is most acute but i i don't i mean to be fair, haven't you know looked too deeply into the into the specifics of the policy, but I, I don't think that's kind of going to be the silver bullet, uh, which wins the young for which brings the young back to the conservatives. Mm -hmm. uh, and one final policy which has recently been enacted, which I'd quite like to touch upon, is uh, the Conservatives uh, Rwanda immigration deal. So until Sunday. Uh, I think it was 11 days straight with zero migrant crossings, but now they seem to have uh, begun again. Um, yeah, what, what's, your, what's your general thoughts on it? And do you think it's something that will appeal to voters or, uh, yeah? I mean, I think it'll appeal to certain voters. The problem is like the, the voters that it will appeal to are pretty much voting conservative anyway. I, you know, I, I, I certainly, I, you know, I certainly don't think there's a large kind of uh, marginal constituency um, in terms of like among the electorate that, that, that really like this will, this will be a, a, a key sticking point for. Um, I mean, it, it, it really kind of just like, again, like it just kind of stinks of desperation from the, from, the, from the Conservative Party where, you know, like, okay, well, uh, you know, may, maybe, you know, where you're kind of just like throwing crap at the wall and trying to see what sticks and like and inevitably as part of that package like there will be something about you know how we're being tough on immigration again and you know and trying to appeal to kind of the well without, without you know without moralizing kind of the the, the more um do you think this is a a way of trying to push the debate back onto the the cultural issues where the conservatives tend to be stronger uh, than labor um, and move away from the more economic questions um perhaps i th i think i think what the conservatives are really hoping for with something like this is like even even if like i mean i don't know what the current you know uh, public opinion generally is on the specific you know issue of uh, sending asylum seekers to rwanda um i, th I think the, the the point more is like well as, as you say it's like to, sh to kind of shift the narrative to something where the conservatives feel they're more comfortable with like they want labor to like get very you know triggered and outraged and and so on and like to do nothing but and to do nothing but talk about like the, this rwanda proposal where you know even if even if um even if uh you know the particular policy maybe isn't the most popular you know they get labor to talk about and you know they get labor back to talk about immigration and then they can point out mm. labor is weak on the topic and so on and so on and so on i, I think i think the, pr the problem here is like i think the reason why the whole like this whole rwanda thing isn't gonna work that well for them is because like at the moment immigration is not actually like that much of a priority for most people i mean what you know if you if you 
you know, if, if you if you put aside kind of your own like personal views and personal biases on the matter, what you think about like the issue morally, right? Like for if you just objectively speaking, like people don't really care about immigration anywhere near to the same extent as they did like back in 2014, 2015. I think if this policy would have been maybe quite effective in 2014 as a way to like counter defections to UKIP, right? But mm. guess what? UKIP isn't a thing anymore. Those <laughs> that did vote for UKIP mostly are on the kind of the, the conservatives Johnson bandwagon now already anyway. Um, so I, I don't quite, I don't quite, you know, I don't quite, I don't quite see the, I don't really like see the, I don't see this as like some kind of genius strategy to be honest. And the, actually what Salvation have started to do, the, the polling sites, very good. Uh, now they break down each constituency's uh, priority. Uh, currently, I think that the first one they posted about 460 constituencies say the economy first, about 150 are saying uh, coronavirus still, 17 Brexit, and then one on crime and one on energy. So as you said, there seems to be zero currently where putting immigration as its uh, priority. So uh, we'll have to see how that uh, plans out. Um, but something else which uh, came up which I found interesting was that, uh, so the MP, uh, Conservative MP Oliver Dowden uh, openly wrote a letter to Keir Starmer uh, complaining of an unofficial electoral pact. So he, he writes that uh, Labour, this election is only presenting candidates in 61% of the Southwest seats compared to 97% in 2018, and only presenting 88% of candidate in Southeast seats compared to 99% in 2018, whilst the Lib Dems will be presenting candidates in 87 and 77% of seats respectively. Uh, and the favour seems to be returned in the Northeast where the Lib Dems are running candidates in just 56% of seats down from 78% in 2018. Is this the beginning of what we call the Progressive Alliance and um, yeah, will, will this materialize into anything more major? I mean, maybe. I, I think the first thing to say of like, I think the first thing to say about this is generally like the whole conservative freakout about it is very funny. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, like Oliver Dowden's Oliver Dowden's whole like uh, whole outrage, uh, like you know, it really kind of reeks of like you know, mom, please stop, you know, the other kids ganging up on me. Like it really has that kind of vibe. Um, uh, like, like the, the, like, okay, like, if you really want to, okay, I, I guess the, the, the point is that, well, first of all, you know, we have the electoral system that it, that, that we do. If you are in favor of this electoral system, then you also must be in, like, well, if not in favor, but at least accept the fact that, you know, people will try to make it work as effectively as possible for them. I mean, that, that's, that only makes sense. I mean, Labour and the Liberal Democrats are fully within their right to form whatever arrangement they they desire. Um, I mean, I, I don't know how like successful, how effective these tactics really will be. I mean, like, I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm, I think on the local level, it probably is probably going to be even more effective than it would be on a parliamentary level. Mm. Um, but um, but generally speaking, it's like it's far from a from a silver bullet. You know, when uh, when when progressives and you know supporters of progressive parties 
by which I mean generally mean you know Labour Greens and the Lib Dems. Um, you know when they when they when they you know start going on about the the necessity of a progressive alliance, I think it's mostly just shows their desperation. I think you know if things were going well for all of those parties, then like they wouldn't need to go on about that. Um, you know, as I said, there are a lot of problems with assuming that, you know, if you stand down in one place, um, a lot, um, you know, all or even even most of those votes will will go to the people you want them to, as opposed to, you know, staying at home or voting for the other side. Um, so, you know, like, I don't know how like effective this will be. I, th I think one 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 uh, way in which it can be quite effective is, you know, whatever else, like, you know, whatever happens in terms of, you know, where the votes go, it certainly, it certainly allows, you know, Labour and the Lib Dems to allocate resources more wisely, right? You know, if you're fighting, you know, basically all the seats, you know, you still have to like allocate, you know, token resources to unwinnable contests, you know, perhaps packs like this can allow them to target a lot better. And I mean, I don't know what the Lib Dem finance, what Lib Dem finances are like at the moment, but Labour has been in great financial troubles ever since mm. the 2019 election. And I mean, certainly, I think uh, <coughs> you know, packs like these, pack like packs like these, you know, can help a little. I don't know. I mean, you know, you know, we're not just talking about obviously about um, we're not just talking about uh, you know, money, but also you know, activist time and um, and so on that can be allocated more more effectively. Um, so I, I think, I mean, will it will it make a difference? I don't think it'll like make the difference between you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, the Lib Dems and Labour winning a bunch, bunch of councils and, uh, or, or not. I, 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 I think it, you know, on the margins, like sure, it can, it can, it can have some effect depending on, again, how, how people actually vote in the absence of their, pref their preferred, uh, mm. preferred party, which is not really something that we can pre predict, you know, like in advance. Mm. And, uh, Moving on, so Boris Johnson, he's already received uh, a fine from the police. He's set to receive another fine, and uh, soon the Sue Gray report will will eventually be published, which will specifically spell out um, which laws were broken. Um, and he could be in for potential big loss of seats in this election. So how long does he have left to survive will he make it through his term do you think so i mean i don't think i can really like make a full prediction mm. i think i think i like i wouldn't be surprised if it goes either way at this point ultimately obviously you know only that's that's up to tory mps i, I you know I, I think at this point his leadership like kind of has stabilized somewhat I mean, like the most critical, I think the most critical kind of point was probably in the immediate aftermath of, you know, the, the Garden Party revelations. Hmm. I think that was the point at which there was like the biggest kind of like outrage, both amongst, you know, the public, but crucially Tory MPs, you know, not just outrage at, um, not just outrage at like what was, I, what, you know, like what they did, but also the fact that scandals like this just cannot keep happening right like this was <laughs> this was uh, you know this was after like this was yet the latest you know this was the biggest in a late long at that point like series of you know party gate revelations you know this was after the owen patterson stuff this was after you know you know this, this it really kind of showed to a lot of tory mps that 
you know, e even if like they didn't care that much about like, you know, the rule breaking that, you know, clearly this is a leadership that is like dysfunctional and scandal prone and really doesn't know how to like mitigate damage to, mm. you know, to the party and to the government. And, and also like, how are we going to get anything like done? How, like, how, how are we going to get anything done before the next election if we're just going to have to like keep firefighting the entire time? I, I think so. I think the most critical point, yeah, was like around the garden, you know, at the time of the garden party revelations. I think after, after, but I think at that point, like rebellion never, like proper rebellion never actually materialized. Um, partly because like the actual open rebels and the committed rebels were one, too few and two, like they weren't really organized. Like no one, no one had like a plan for like what to do. Like the moment Boris Johnson's leadership starts blowing up, like this is like this is the battle plan. This is how we get rid of him. I think you know, like, and 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 the kind of and the kind of people that that did rebel aren't like, you know, big hitters. Yeah, well, I mean, well, some of them are quite big hitters. You know, like Tom Tugendhat, right? Um, Steve Baker as well. But I think the the point is like a lot of them aren't like natural plotters either. Um, I mean, certainly Tom Tugendhat probably is not, you know, a natural, natural part. Uh, yeah, and and Steve Baker is an overrated one. I, you know, the um, so yeah, like there wasn't enough like committed rebels, and and they weren't organized very well. And, and you know, and then you had like the whole, you know, delays to the Gray Inquiry. You had the announcement finally of the, the Met getting involved, and like that delaying the Gray Inquiry. Um, so, and then obviously you have the, you know, the war <laughs> in, in Ukraine. And so I, I over, overall, they've, uh, the, the, you know, the, the fallout has been, has, has been allowed to spread out in a way where at no point, you know, does it reach a critical mass where Tory MPs just like, just completely have enough and all the letters go in and, and so on. I mean, I think we got, I mean, I don't know, like I haven't spoken to any Tory MPs, but I think like it seemed like at a certain point it got like pretty close, but, uh, but you know, they just about, again, mostly after the garden party stuff, but it, uh, but they just managed to avoid it. And since then, like, like open rebellion kind of materialized into quiet discomfort. And we've kind of been there, been there ever since. I, mm. with regards to like the, the locals, I think, I, I, I don't, I don't think the results here are really going to matter that much with regards to whether Johnson uh, Johnson keeps his job. I mean, like mainly because there, there isn't, if we were fighting on last year's seats, maybe, <laughs> but there's, I don't think there's like enough room for potential Tory losses. Like that would like have like the, the kind of massive, um, you know, massive uh, effect required, like where like, oh, well, like, you know, where the conservative party just says like, oh my God, this guy's going to like, cause electoral oblivion for us. I mean, you know, to put it into context, in 2019, the Conservatives lost over a thousand seats. And like, that's not even considered like crazy for incumbent governments. And, um, you know, we're, I don't think we're gonna get anything close to that, partly because, I mean, I don't know how many Conservative seats are up for election, but it's, it's I don't think it's even 1,500. Mm. Um, so I, I don't think, you know, most, you know, this, these are mostly, as we've discussed, these are mostly like labor held seats. and. So there isn't there isn't as much room for 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 damage. The the damage that will likely happen is already factored in. Like you know, a lot of Tory MPs, you know, and, and including those who you know haven't exactly been the biggest cheerleaders of the Johnson Premiership lately. I I think they they kind of accept that they're you know that these results aren't going to be great, 
but they probably won't mean, you know, the election is still years away and, you know, we can write it out. We can, we can make a comeback. Right. Um, so it's, um, not, it's not a kind so of a last resort situation. So you don't think, for example, if Labour were to start making gains back in their, their old Red War sort of territory, uh, you don't think that uh, the Tory MPs who came in for the first time in 2019, they won't start to consider sending in uh, uh, their letters to Gray and Brady to, to force through a, a no-confidence vote? I mean, maybe. I don't think there's going to be... I, I, I'm, I'm not convinced that there's going to be enough of them. I think, I, th I think, you know, most Tory MPs are smart enough to know that, well, you know, generally incumbent governments do quite poorly at local elections, mm. um, even though the Conservative Party, like, you know, maybe the Conservative Party after, over the past like five years has forgotten about that, considering how well they've been doing at local <laughs> elections, relatively speaking. Um, but, but, you know, generally, I think most Conservative MPs will know that governments tend to do quite poorly at local elections. Um, and, you know, just because Labour, you know, picks up a council here or there doesn't necessarily mean, you know, like, you know, it means that Labour is doing like the bare minimum required for them to potentially win the next election. But, you know, like, that's okay. That's almost like, that's almost a given, right? That's, that, that means you have an effective opposition. That doesn't mean you have an opposition that is about to, you know, steamroll the government at the first opportunity they get. And I think something that works in Johnson's favour now compared to the, the sort of his apogee of, not his apogee, uh, his sort of, uh, when he was most uh, threatened to, to lose his job, uh, is that uh, we, we seem to have lost the sort of prodigy of, of the Conservative Party, and that's uh, Rishi Sunak. Uh, at the time, he was sort of seen as the, the natural replacement of, of Boris Johnson, and now, after these tax affair scandals, he, he seems to have... The, the light seems to be moving away from him and looking at the, the bookies' favourites. Now we've got uh, Jeremy Hunt, who's been dug out his grave and, and brought back to life. Uh, I, I just don't see uh, a big sort of alternative re replacement to Boris Johnson at the moment. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's very true. I mean, certainly if you, well, I, mean, I don't know if, I don't know if necessarily like you have to have a, a, a you know, a, a leadership candidate kind of lined up in order to, in order for, for a challenge to Johnson to, to materialize but yeah I, I think it certainly would help and currently that's no longer the case right i mean if you if you said at the start of the you know right after the new year if you said you know who's who's going to be the the next tory leader you know most people would have said okay well if you if you if i had to decide probably rishi sunak and the bookies certainly reflected that um you know like now it's like no one really knows i mean yeah like you know like people are now talking about jeremy hunt again you know, the most boring man in politics uh, <laughs> uh comes back to you know for another go at it um I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I think probably the Tory party has shifted a bit too far for, for someone like him to come mm -hmm. and seize the reins, but you know, you never know. Um, I, I think, um, I mean, for, for, for Sunak, I don't think it was necessarily even the, um, the ta like the tax kind of revelations, you know, his wife's taxes. I, I think, um, I think by and large, uh, we finally have got to a point where the economy is unobject, like unobjective. The economy is like un, 
the economy is very unquestionably clearly, unquestionably very <laughs> the economy is unquestionably in a very bad spot and and um and like the chancellor like and the chancellor who is at the end of the day responsible for the economy you know doesn't really have anything to deflect over um certainly you know the economy wasn't great during COVID, but then they could you know then they brought out you know all of the uh, all of the aid packages and you know, in furlough and so on. And in, 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 indeed, the reason why Sunak was popular in the first place was because of the uh, of the furlough scheme yeah. and how the government and how the government responded over over the pandemic. Right. Um, so now all of that has kind of like subsided and we have like a very bad economy and the chancellor has nothing to show for it. So obviously, like it's, it's no surprise that, the, you know, that the chancellor's uh, the chancellor's ratings have fallen through the floor. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I don't, I don't know how much of a serious contender he was for the premiership, um, in the first place. I mean, he does certainly doesn't strike me as a master kind of schemer. Um, Although I think uh, he did choose to abstain on the Plan B voting, which a lot of people were saying that sort of suggests he's lining himself up for a, a leadership bid. Yeah, I think I think the problem I think the problem like for a while. I mean, and you saw that like in the early kind of days of Partygate as well, where he was trying to kind of distance himself from mm. Johnson. Um, I, I I think he had kind of like, I don't know. I I think Sunak had it like in the back of his head that right like, well, you know, I you know I am a potential. I could be prime minister, so I should I guess do I guess I should like do things that I would do if I was going to like survive this whole thing and and potentially replace you know replace the the top the top man um but i i but you know but but, but those were all like kind of very like surface level like you know things right like like distancing himself from johnson like when johnson totally imploded um and and and, and so on but um but i i don't i don't think there's really any evidence that that he has thought that deeply about a potential leadership challenge that you know he's put together any kind of infrastructure for it um I, I think by and large he's just someone who's generally trying to keep his options open mm. but I, I i don't see him as like you know the, the kind the kind of person for frankly i don't think he wants the job that much i mean like that, that that's the other thing i i i think i think he maybe occasionally likes the the sound of it <laughs> but, uh, um, but like he doesn't strike me as someone you know with, with, with kind of the killer instinct right so could you throw us maybe one or two names who you think could potentially replace uh, johnson i don't know i mean like so you have people kind of from the more moderate wing of the party right like you have the jeremy hans you have uh, you know tom tugenhart um, I don't think those, I mean, the problem with them is that, again, like the composition of the Conservative Party has shifted so drastically since kind of the, like the beginning of the May premiership that um, I don't think there's enough of like a parliamentary constituency for these people to actually get past the initial few rounds of voting, right, among Tory MPs. Um, even, even if Tory party members would be willing to give them a chance, which again, like is a very big if. Um, so I, I think the more moderate wing I mean, it would make sense, like, historically, often, you know, when you have a very spectacular downfall from a particular wing of the party, you know, the other, the other you know, you have yeah. kind of like a swing over to the other side, right? I mean, partly that's what we saw with, with, with Labour and Keir Starmer. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
and has, you know, happened before, you know, with the Conservative Party, where we went from, you know, Michael Howard to David Cameron, for instance, you know, like people forget, you know, the person who was supposed to replace, um, you know, by a lot of predictions, the person who was supposed to replace Michael Howard was David Davis, but you know, mm. we got the more, mo- we got the more moderate Cameron. I mean, that like, because that was like the big kind of swing over to like, okay, maybe like we have to like try something completely different now. Um, but again, I don't, I'm not sure like there's enough of a constituency among the Conservative Party for, for those kind of, for those kind of people and that kind of leadership. Um, I mean, so so you're kind of left with people who are like, well, either the Johnson loyalists or kind of like the adjacent people who didn't really do anything to stir the boat, right? Um, I mean, I think Sajid Javid will probably, will definitely give it another crack, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, Liz Truss, I don't know, like, you know, I hope not. I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, she's probably like too gaff prone. And I think most, I think, I don't think Tory MPs will probably, I mean, I, I don't know. You never know. But I, I, I don't, I, I, I mean, I just can't see her uh, getting, getting anywhere close. Um, I mean, Dominic Robb, I, I, like, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, it's hard to, it's hard to name a single person who, who really kind of stands out as, no, no, no. not even like stands out as a good leader, but just like as someone who like can actually like make it happen, right? <laughs> no, I, I agree. I, I really struggling to pick out names really i have some personal favorites of mine but everyone i sort of think about I mean, is wouldn't wouldn't likely to to win the a leadership contest i mean to be clear i'm not i'm not a conservative so like i don't like i don't know like if i i don't know what the um you know i, I try to look at this kind of objectively from yeah, like an outsider's yeah. viewpoint but i mean I don't know, like if I was, uh, I maybe if I was a diehard Tory, I'd, you know, I'd have a different view. I'd have oh, a different view. I'd have, yeah, I'd, I'd have a different perspective, obviously. But I mean, certainly, like from the outside looking in, I mean, like just strategically, I just don't, I don't really see any any, <laughs> any obvious contenders. I don't think anyone else really does. <laughs> and from one polarizing figure to another, so uh, a few days ago, we celebrated 25 years of uh, Charles Anthony Blair becoming the. Prime Minister, United Kingdom. I just wanted to, um, yeah, take this Peter Hitchens quote, which made me laugh a lot. It was, it was a fringe event in the Conservative Party uh, conference, and he said uh, that uh, Boris Johnson and his candidate were promoting the exact same Blairite agenda orchestrated by uh, Alistair Campbell, Alistair Campbell, and. Peter Mandelstern, but he said the only distinction was that uh, whilst Mandelstern and Campbell uh, understood what they were doing, uh, Johnson and Al were, were too thick or ill-educated to understand that they were doing it themselves. Uh, Peter, do you, do you think the UK has shifted from Blairism or do you think we are still, yeah, we're, we're, we're still cool Britannia as they used to call it? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I certainly wouldn't like base my analysis on Peter Hitchens. I think <laughs> Peter Hitchens, anything, anything to the left of Thomas Cromwell probably is a Blairite conspiracy. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess it depends, I guess it depends like what you actually consider Blairism to be. I mean, I, I don't know, like, well, well, I don't know what you would, what you would define well, it as. For example, I'd say his, the, the, con, the, con, ah, the current policy on Ukraine is rather similar to the sort of foreign policy that we were seeing uh, on the on the Tony Blair, whereby we would intervene. May, we're not intervening militarily, but we are sending a lot of military equipment. 
we are intervening in order to sort of in what we view as a sort of moral obligation against an aggressive power. For me, that was quite a, a Blairite foreign policy, uh, what we're doing in Ukraine right now. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think that's a Blairite foreign policy. I think that's just like a, a general historic British foreign policy. I mean, I don't, I don't think there was any point like in the past 200 years when, um, when any British government would have seen a, you know, a, a competitive you know, major power in Europe uh, try to massively like expand its, its 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 military and its military influence um, and and its own borders and you know at, at at the at the expense also of you know of of of, of uh, you know Western and British influence and for the British government to do absolutely nothing I don't I don't I don't think I don't think there's anything like specifically Blairite about that I think literally any British government of the certainly of the post war period would have done exactly the same. Um, I mean, I, I so 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 no. I mean, I don't know about the. I think I think certainly if you think if you want to think about Blairism and foreign policy, um, the uh, I think that the, the, the I think the, the main kind of fixture of I mean, if, again, if you ignore like Iraq, um, which I don't think there's that much. You know, well, like the UK is not currently fighting any wars of aggression, so I don't think there's any. Uh, any major counterpart for that, but I, I, I think you know, generally speaking, like like the, the the key part of Blairite foreign policy that certainly we've definitely moved away from is our attitude to Europe. I think, mm. I, th I think that that I think like pro-Europeanism has been a very very distinctive feature of uh, of, of Blairism and of of you know of of, of New Labour. Um, so um, I mean, certainly in the, in that essence, we've we've moved quite far, and I I think. You know, so certainly, as it's about as it's about as far from uh, from like a, from from Blair's idea of a, of a of British foreign policy that, that that we could have that we could have come from in twenty in twenty five years. I mean, I mean, generally speaking, right? I mean, I, I think you know, if you try to define Blairism as like it, it's hard, it's very hard to define it as a coherent political ideology. I mean, aside from like very vague kind of conceptions of kind of you know third way, you know, centrist economics and social liberalism. Um, I, I think by, I mean, like the analysis I personally have of Blairism is, um, is that it was less a coherent, you know, outward facing ideology as it was uh, an inward facing kind of internal argument within the Labour Party about what it takes to win power. Because mm. I mean, if you, if you really think about what Blairism like really was, um, you know, practically speaking, it was uh, it was the way it was the modernization project in the Labour Party. I mean, it, it was the and it was the like the idea that you know we have to moderate somewhat, we have to modernize, we have to you know change our approach uh, to you know on certain issues um, if we ever want to win back power. Um, and it was very successful at that for quite a while. Um, until up until the very moment that New Labour stopped winning elections, at which point the entire thing completely fell apart. Um, because if if you build if you build a you know if 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 Blairism was a, an, just a, an eternal narrative about about winning power, then if you can't if it can no longer win power, I mean, like, what are you doing? So um, I, th I think I think uh, I think in that sense, like Blairism has certainly fallen. Oh well, some would argue that with uh, with Keir Starmer we're seeing something resembling mm. a revival but I think I think that's kind of a I think it's certainly at this point that might be too much of a stretch 
just one last point, though, is that uh, quite often you see a lot of Conservative MPs who are often complaining about uh, Blairite policies, but uh, they've been in power for 11 years now and they, they don't seem to have reversed anything really of, of what Blair did, apart from the, the, the European question, of course. Um, so, for example, uh, devolution has, has continued and even there's been more devolved powers given. Um, when, it, the, for example, the minimum wage, the, the Tories have continued to, to increase that. It, it seems that they continue just to add and construct to the Blairite project in the first place. I mean, de devolution is an interesting point. I think, I think, I think, I mean, you could certainly make a, a convincing argument there in certain regards. I think, I mean, certainly a, a lot of uh, proponents of devolution would argue that um, the Conservatives, you know, while, while they didn't, the Conservatives haven't done too much to kind of drive back on, on Blair, you know, new, new Labour era devolution, they certainly also haven't added that much to it. I mean, certainly local government in, 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 in England um, continues to be dramatically underpowered compared to like a lot of our European counterparts. Um, I mean, with regards and with regards to things like the minimum wage, I mean, like uh, I mean, I don't know, like what do you want them to do, really? I mean, it's uh, it's not it's not like it's not like we're in a bubble where uh, you know it's not like uh, you know a, a, a minimum a minimum wage and a and an you know and a rising minimum wage isn't like the, the basic benchmark across uh, Europe and most of the developed world, you know. In that sense, it's not even like really Blairite. It's just kind of how we like generally do things these days. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's finish with some predictions then. Um, what sort of uh, council swing are you expecting in favour of uh, Labour or the Conservatives? Um, well, if there's any swing in favor of the conservatives, Keir Starmer should like probably resign. I mean, I, 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 I but you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's hard to make predictions again when you kind of have such a such an uneven battleground, right? Where like most seats are already held by Labour, so there isn't that much to squeeze. Um, I think if the conservatives keep their losses under a hundred, under a hundred seats, like they would have done very well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, anything, 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 uh, anything more than that, and Labour would have had a pretty good time, and the Conservatives would have had a pretty bad time. Again, the Conservatives aren't likely to have a cataclysmic time, uh, just because they don't really have that much to lose. Um, it'll perhaps be interesting what happens with. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll I'll make I'll make one prediction, which is that I don't think I think the Greens will perform more poorly in this set of local elections than they have in pretty much like every local election for the last four years. Um, which is partly because Labour is finally being more popular and uh, I think a lot of people are, I think this is going to be a lot more, you know, people voting either Tory or Labour as opposed to, to third parties. I think the Green Party has been a very significant beneficiary of, you know, Labour's mm. general uh, ineptitude over the past, uh, over the past uh, half decade um but uh but i i don't know how i would uh how i would kind of put that into numerical terms certainly it would be surprising if the lib dems didn't make some some meaningful gains i mean like they are a party that prides itself on their strength in local government and you know they put a lot of they put a lot into these campaigns um certainly you 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 you, you know look be looking at if the lib dems managed to you know 
um, take over in places like Gosport, Woking. Mm. Um, but what actually will happen? Like I'm, I, I'm not even, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> and is there any specific councils which you think uh, Labour should should be winning off the Conservatives? So Nuneaton, like they should be hundred percent winning. Um, if again, if they if they don't win that, they're in serious trouble. I mean, that, that's how that's how I'll phrase it. I mean, Dudley is another one, um, but I, I think I think we've already kind of talked about like the the major uh, mm-hmm. major bellwethers, if you will. Okay then. So uh, yeah, we've come to the end. So uh, thanks very much, Pete, for for coming on. It's been a great chatting to you as always. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on again. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll. Uh, have another chat at some point, maybe after the local elections, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I do believe there's an interesting uh, by-election coming up in Wakefield as well, so definitely something to keep our eyes on. And uh, thanks everyone as well for uh, tuning in. So uh, this is the last political tipster for at least a month, I think, where we'll be looking at the uh, I think we'll have the Wakefield by-election coming up, and then we'll also have the French legislative elections as well to see if uh, Emmanuel Macron will have a majority during his presidency. So uh, thanks everyone and uh, we'll see you soon.